1: Hi, my name is Tracy Morgan, your host at New Books in Psychoanalysis, and today we will begin our inaugural program, or webcast, exploring the field of psychoanalysis with psychoanalytic clinicians, authors, hopefully on a weekly basis, surveying the scene. And today we're fortunate to have with us Dr. Hendrika Freud from Holland, who is joined is going to join us to discuss her book, which while not new, has been recently translated into English, so it is new in the American and English speaking scene. Electra versus Oedipus: The Drama of the Mother Daughter Relationship, Rutledge, 2010. And this book looks at how things can go awry between the mother and the daughter or for the daughter and how women are turned away from what they want, from knowing what they want, and how the early complications with the mother can can impact that. We have a lot of interesting questions to ask her, and if you stay tuned, I think you're going to learn a lot. Hi, we're here live with Dr. Hendrika Freud, and um, we're going to be talking to her about her new uh, book, at least her new translation into English, um, a book called Electra Versus Oedipus, The Drama of the Mother-Daughter Relationship. Welcome, Dr. Freud. Thank you.
0: Uh, well, uh, you asked me first to explain uh, why my name is Freud. Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think people would like to understand that, yes.
0: Yes, they usually do. And, um well, there's no direct connection I know of. My uh, family came, my father came from um, Hungary, which is also, of course, the Habsburg monarchy, together with Austria and Serbia and many, many other countries. Mm. So it's sort of the same area. Um So I don't know any special details, but... I worked in the child psychiatry department years ago and then Anna Freud came to visit and the professor asked me to present a case at the end, a child case. At the end, uh, Anna Freud asked, oh... um, Miss Freud, uh, we must be related, and I was very young, so i I resisted it, and I said, "Well, I don't know. I was once in Chicago, and there I saw a very dilapidated garage, and on top of that stood John Freud car repair. <laughs>
1: That's a very funny story. So you weren't sure you wanted to be uh, related to Anna at the time?
0: No, I sort of resisted that. And then Anna, who very humoristic, she replied with a slight German accent still, as long as it is repair, it is all right.
1: <laughs> well, in a way, that's very interesting because she is a, a foremother. And um, in your book, you talk about... Amongst the many uh, issues that you raise, you um, have the idea of a symbiotic illusion uh, between mothers and daughters, and uh, what the daughter must do to not get caught in the symbiotic illusion. Would you describe to the audience um, this concept that you have of the uh, symbiotic illusion?
0: Um, yes. Um, daughters have a special problem, which is different from the problems of boys, because they are born in the same sex relationship and they identify with their mother during their lifetime and every phase again they have to to follow in their mother's footsteps or identify with her and for girls this has the consequence that she has a problem uh, disengaging or separating from her mother or finding her own way in life and being an individual. Many women suffer from the fact that they still feel that they have to look after their mother or they feel guilty towards their mother or they uh, hate their mother or they they are afraid of their mother. Many of these mother-daughter problems, which you don't see with boys. When I talk in my practice with the grown-ups, many people come when they are around 50. They still have mothers who are around 80 or 90. And these women were long past adult age. They still worry about what will my mother think. And when I Visit my mother, she says, "Your hair is not okay, or you don't dress all right, or she she criticizes me and she claims me, and she expects things from me which i don't like to do the boys the sons stay aloof they don't look after their mothers like that. The daughters always do they have they feel more guilt, and more responsibility towards their mothers. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, on the, um, I was just thinking uh, in sort of the American context, um, the Academy Awards are this weekend, and many people have seen a film called The Black Swan, and I don't know if you've seen that film. Did you have a chance to see it?
0: Um, you- no, but there, there are other films you mentioned um,
1: Elfriede Yellenek. Yes, Yellenek's film oh. also, which explores this issue of yeah. the mother-daughter pair and um, when things really go awry when the mother uh, when the daughter becomes everything the mother wants rather than uh, becomes herself and is able to be separate and make her own decisions. The fear of losing the mother's love, which you explore in the book, is um, is paramount, I guess, for the girl. Um, did you have anything to say about the Yellenek film, The Piano Teacher? Uh, the, the, uh, yes. The Heineken film, actually.
0: Yes. um, Elfriede Jelinek is a very pertinent case in point because she has a very pathological relationship to her mother. She told in an interview once that she always slept in her mother's bed. And this was a completely parasitic relationship. The mother wanted to to have the daughter be a pianist uh, whether the daughter wanted this or not in 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 that is in the film but in real life the mother really intruded all the time into the life of the daughter the daughter had no no freedom to to have a, a husband or, or a male friend even. Mm-hmm. And once she had one, she did not live with this male friend. She stayed with her mother. Mm-hmm. And I have a patient who has the same uh, uh, problem. She has been married for 20 years, but she always went on holiday with her mother and her husband didn't matter so much to her. She had a much closer, as it were, closer relationship because these relationships aren't close but not intimate. They are quasi intimate. And that's the symbiotic illusion. There is a big illusion there that we two are together, we feel together, we are the same, we love each other. But you don't. They don't. It, it's just... Uh, 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 it's just a fallacious uh, relationship it's an an, an ideal instead of a real thing hmm.
1: Hmm. so it sort of points to problems with female aggression right because aggression yeah. is needed for separation
0: yes and female aggression is a problem you know males can't uh, cry and females can't be aggressive B- males can't fear or cry, and females have a problem um, attacking or or being aggressive for their hostility is usually suppressed. And this also derives from their close mother-daughter relationship because if you stand up against your mother, she will re- reject you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or you won't even survive it. There is sometimes such a... Matris see thing in the air that in dreams, for instance, that daughters dream that they kill their mother just to, to somehow get rid of her. Mm-hmm. And they have a fantasy, either my mother will die or I will die. It, it goes very far sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a real, a real narcissism, a sameness that can uh, overwhelm um, the daughter's uh, eventual development. And uh, Yes, absolutely. And that can last throughout life. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that um, there seems to be a lot of interest um, I was thinking about different uh, authors Muriel Dimon, Nadrin Harris, uh, Lucy Holmes um, Diana Lees, Jessica Benjamin, and yourself, who seem, uh, amongst others, to be writing about um, the question of what is it that women want? And I know Freud asked this question, uh, the other Freud asked this question many years ago, but um, it seems that there's a return uh, in some way to that. Do you have uh, any thoughts about this sort of burgeoning new interest in trying to answer this question, which I think your book does uh, take take uh, attempts to answer as well?
0: Yes, I think this is an eternal question that can't be solved and that will come back and and stay there forever. It's there since antiquity, since the play of Electra, And even in psychoanalysis, there's a nice example or a pathetic example of the mother-daughter relationship of Melanie klein melanie klein and her daughter and there is a play about it which is called mrs klein by nicholas Wright. and there was a fierce uh, fight between this mother and daughter they absolutely hated each other and and the daughter went to america to be rid of this this mother who was on her neck always
1: right 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 what is what is it i mean in, in the book you have a chapter what does woman want i mean what would you say how would you answer that um
0: Ah, well, my shortest answer would be that she wants a woman with a penis <laughs>
1: That's, yes, uh, because
0: she longs for maternal love, right. and men often don 't satisfy this longing mm-hmm. because they often are not so much tender as inclined to have sexual intercourse, which the woman often doesn't like as much as being stroked and, and being tendered together. And, well, after childbirth especially, many women resist sex somehow. And they're eternally looking for their mothers and the beginning of their life and maternal love. That's what they're looking for. I have, at the moment, an analytical patient, and when she came in, it's a difficult patient because her mother is a sort of semi-autistic person. When this patient came in, she suffered from what she called a fear of being a lesbian. And at the first session, I knew that it had nothing to do with being a lesbian. There was a craving for a loving mother, which she had never had. The gleam in the eye of the mother was lacking from the beginning, from the very beginning of her life. And her feeling of self is totally absent and even negative. Hmm. So... um, yeah what was i saying yes this uh, uh, this is an enormous problem that you need the uh, the improvement of your mother the the love of your mother the um, well, your mother has to appreciate you, and that often doesn 't happen if a mother has a, a weak sense of self and a weak narcissism, she cannot support her daughter like she should.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I was thinking about in, uh, in the clinical um, encounter how many women come um, into our offices and say, He's so disappointing. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get this. He's not connected to me. He's not with me. He doesn't really feel uh, my feelings with me, and how disappointing um, often uh, women find men. So, that really does reach back to your comment about women looking for a woman. Um, with a penis, uh, uh, often, often enough. What would you say are the complications? Although your book does not take up this issue. And I understand you have, um, another, uh, another book, um, uh, that, that looks at the issue of mothers and sons and where do things go awry, um, in that relationship.
0: Well, um, to tell you the history of it all, I uh, started uh, long, long ago reading Marcel Proust, the French novelist. And he was a homosexual with uh, a very perverse say, masochistic tendencies. And he has, in his uh, remembrance of things uh, past, this long novel, he has much to say about a mother-son relationship, which went awry. And um, he uh, loved his mother dearly and his perverse play consisted of killing his mother in effigy Mm -hmm. or stamping on her photograph and things like that. So uh, that's how I learned uh, about male homosexuality homosexuality, he was homosexual and had a perversion. So I learned about perversions much more than Freud or Freudians could ever teach me. This man had the the experience in his own life. And he he was able to theorize it and to give beautiful examples. So that's how I started to write a book, which is called Freud, Proust, Perversion and Love. That was my first English book. And on that later, I based a book, Men and Mothers, which appeared in Dutch. But from from that, uh, I veered toward women because, well, first I resisted this because I thought there is so much written about mother and daughter already. Uh, I won't go into that. But I couldn't, finally, I couldn't resist, and I went into the mother-daughter relationship because it's very similar from the pathological son-mother relationship. Only the the consequences are very different, um, um, a woman who has an unresolved bond with her mother won't uh, change her gender identity or become perverse or, or homosexual, not at all necessary. She will have a family, she will have a husband, she will raise children, etc. Only she will call her mother every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the, the parallels are very interesting. So the pathological. Uh, mother son relationship shows many similarities with the two close mother daughter relationship, which has not such uh, psychological consequences.
1: Right, right, right. Very interesting. Um, you include in the book, which I thought was pretty uh, fascinating and compelling, a chapter on history, on the yeah. history of maternal love. And um, psychoanalysts, we uh, psychoanalysts, were not often um thinking historically. What prompted you to include that that chapter in this book?
0: Um. Well. Um, I was working in uh, the child deca- uh, psychiatry department of the University of Amsterdam at the time, and I was also trained as a child analyst. And I, I wondered these women who were talking about uh, having to be with your child na- day and night, all these psychoanalytical, uh, female psychoanalytical professors at the time, that was in the 60s, uh, they told you you have to look after your child eternally. But they themselves didn't do that. And uh, sometimes their children came to my practice and complaining that we were terribly neglected by their mothers. So I wondered what's going on here. Why is this? Who developed this idea? Well, it, it, it comes um, maybe mainly from... From Anna Freud from psychoanalysis from an an ideal concept which is not consistent with reality. So I thought, well, when when this when did this start? Because I'm interested in literature. I, I read Tolstoy, his life history. He only saw his before going to bed he had to kneel and kiss their hand and that was all before going to bed then goodbye that was all he saw of them and that was in high-class families but the families until after the until after the first world war people had nannies Dostoevsky was very poor but his Wife had a nanny for their children. Freud himself, this family was very poor, but they had a nanny for their children. Everybody had nannies. Nobody looked after his children. So I went back and back and back, and I discovered there came some some books appeared about uh, change in the in the in the family life uh, in the eighteenth century. Then it became an ideal to look after your children, to educate your children, to to have. Less children, you would spend more money and effort on the fewer children you had. And that became an important trend in history. So that's how I went back and back and discovered there's a lot of literature on on family life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, very, very liberating point of view. Um, so that mothering as we know it is uh, n- doesn't have to be this way, I guess, is, is one of your ideas, which is very similar to, um, I guess, the thinking of uh, Nancy Chattero in her book, The yeah. Reproduction of Mothering, that uh, how could we do it differently? What would the different outcome be? So what would you say? Uh, would What would a more ideal mothering uh, situation be? I mean, other than the one we have now? I mean, I live in New York City, and, you know, we're in encouraged to be with our children under <laughs> really difficult circumstances, but to be with yeah. them. Um, they, they, we don't have backyards. We have to be with them all the time, taking them here, taking them there. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of guilt, um, many women feel for going to work, for being, um, having their own desires and interests. Um, so what, what would a more ideal situation be that would help the daughter to uh, be able to separate um, and have pleasure uh, later in life as as a woman?
0: Well, you mentioned the key word here, and, which is guilt. So the idea of having to be with your children always around the clock, seven days a week, that's a a guilt-producing concept. And that's what I have against it. And um, it was even forbidden to to send your children to a kindergarten because that would harm them. I think it isn't harmful unless the home situation is already um, a problematic one. And even then, it could help not to be with your mother eternally. These young mothers are very often depressed and, and very hopelessly alone in their apartment, without relatives, without extended families, people are very not, uh, isolated nowadays. Mm-hmm. And um, and then women develop, and they they want to work. So you you can combine everything, but it's very hard. And I think it's a good idea to to have. To have help, and you can pay for it and to have a kindergarten a few days and if you can afford to to have that sort of help and the, I think it 's also a good idea if if the father takes part because children often lack an idea who the father is, what he is doing, what his job is he 's away from home often and too much, I think. And in general, pathology is, is often connected with absent and distant fathers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they don't take part in the upbringing. They take it easy. They think, oh, let mother and child solve their problems together. I I read the paper or I go to the to the cafeteria and drink a beer i i don't care
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, and if we think about uh guilt and what guilt is it's sort of a disavowal of a feeling. I wonder if the mother's feeling is uh is of um, more aggressive and negative at times for the child that can't be um owned or accepted. Um,
0: oh yes, I think from baby. Onwards, a mother is expected to love her child, and I think it's a lie. When you have a child, it's not always the case that you immediately love your child. It's just not true. You you have to get used to your child. You have to get to know your child. And I have met women who are more or less in a panic once they are pregnant because they know there's no way back. Once a mother, always a mother. You can't uh, you can't go back. You have an eternal responsibility. Uh, and you have to answer for that so that's frightening so that's why women can hate their child but it's totally not uh, not allowed that's forbidden and females anyway suffer more from shame and guilt than than men do so if you ask what does a woman, woman want, she, she wants uh, foremost to hide her desires. She cannot desire her mother because she is a grown-up. She cannot desire to have sexual satisfaction because she has to be modest. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has to stay in the corner until she is asked for a dance. Yesterday a woman told me, a woman over 50, no, if they start dancing, I disappear but I don't, because I don't want to stand in the corner and not be asked. Mm-hmm. I was ready to say, well, ask and bill. You can do that as well. But women are not so much inclined, at least not that generation. Maybe that changed today, changes maybe.
1: Well, what is it that it seems that, that there's a fear um, in many women, uh, a fear of, of um, wanting, of um, being known as someone who wants things. What, what do you make of that? Why is that the case? What's so difficult about a woman knowing what she wants?
0: Um, yeah, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, well, throughout history, women are, have learned to, to be modest and to look after other, others' needs. They shouldn't put their own needs first. They should take care of others' needs. That's how you are brought up. Still today I think that that's the case mother cooks and mother does the laundry and and, and mother uh, consoles the children and uh, she is the first one to and, and still today uh, women uh, when they want to go out they ask their husband can you uh, look after the child can you help me out right can you help me out the male will say I'm I'm gone tonight goodbye Mm-hmm. he He won't ask permission, and the woman will ask uh, does it does it suit you if i'm not home on Thursday, or what are you doing can you Can you stay home and he might look in his notebook and say no." Or he forgets to fetch the child from school. That sort of story I still often hear.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I don't know if you know the work of um, the psychoanalyst Diana Lise. I think she's in uh, San Francisco. And um, she has a really interesting idea, um, which is that um, mothers have a more difficult time with uh, their girl, baby girl infants and their baby boys with accepting the little girl's early libidinal strivings toward the mother her early um, desire, uh, for lack of a better word, of the mother, like, for instance, when the child is at the breast, and that the mother will keep the boy at the breast longer and be less uncomfortable with his early, his early uh, inklings toward her. But with the girl, girls are taken off the breast earlier is her idea, and that this can thwart um, later in life a woman's feeling... Uh, comfortable knowing what she wants that rather there's a shame attached do you have any thoughts or any reactions to this idea oh yes i think it's absolutely right the you see mothers
0: young mothers with boys and girls and they they are often totally in love with their male baby and this this the girl that that ambivalence is there from the very beginning, from both sides, I think. The girl also feels that the mother might love her less. Mm -hmm. And the mother, um, the heterosexual is more interesting than sameness, maybe. And the mother also might be afraid of her, her homosexual inclinations. Women have a strong homosexual inclination almost always. That's a certain phase that has to be addressed in every female analysis, the homosexual longings.
1: And yeah. um, Well, you discuss in the book, you have, uh, you know, that the the female patient falls in love with the female analyst, but how often it goes unacknowledged, um, that it can't be articulated somehow. Can you say some more about that?
0: yeah I think many female analysts like many mothers, they are afraid of the idea that we have also a homosexual bond that's in the air it's it's difficult for them to acknowledge somehow women are more afraid of it they they can be the friends and and hug and kiss and but they their homosexual longings are not so conscious. Mm-hmm. And women homosexuals are totally different from male homosexuals. Lesbians have often much less sexuality, much more conflicts deriving from the mother-daughter problems. The homosexual women have, like McDougall has described, has has many um, hostile feelings towards their partner, many conflicts, and less sex. And less well in males homosexually, homosexuality is also concentrated on the narcissistic uh, <laughs> uh fellas thing and uh, and the love for the penis and the big uh, genitals genitals and things like that, and women sooner get bored from by their homosexual partners somehow doesn't the sex doesn't last long it it ends much sooner and they don't have extra relational uh, uh sex uh, relationships like men do
1: mm-hmm. it's different. You also make a very interesting argument um, in uh, the book, and you know, just full disclosure, I uh, have uh, written a review of this book, which just was published yesterday. Actually, it just came out. It's sort of funny to see it in print and know I was going to be interviewing you. Um, but um, when I, you know, was working with the editor um, on the review, um, he found it really um, compelling, as did I. Um, that. The relationship that a girl has to her own genital pleasure, to a little girl knowing what her clitor- where her clitoris is, what her clitoris is, what is it about, what is its purpose, um, and the relationship um, between knowing later in life what one wants. Uh, I think that's a very provocative idea. It seemed um, to me like absolute common sense, and yet it's an idea that uh, also struck me as as brand new. Um, oh. Is it? it Is that a reaction you've gotten that this is a very sort of a very new and in a way groundbreaking idea and understanding of the relationship between desire and female genitality? um, Well, to to tell you the truth,
0: you don't get much reaction from colleagues when you write something. (laughs) What are they doing? (laughs) Well, I have asked uh, colleagues in other countries, and they tell me that's the same everywhere. There is sort of rivalry or jealousy or whatever. You don't hear much. But um, I think about the thing that that mothers perpetuate this, this sort of shyness and modesty and shame in their daughters because they don't really like to mention the genital areas very explicitly. And the clitoris has no function exe- except for pleasure. And who, <laughs> who wants to talk about pleasure to a young child? I think you should, but it's, it's rare. Um, mothers don't like to do that. They don't like to talk about their marital relationship, which involves uh, sexual pleasure. And the, the same holds for the child when they bath the child and they, they, they clean the genitals. They, they won't talk. They just uh, perform this as if this is nothing special
1: right right, right. it's really it 's really an interesting idea though that if a girl could um, be helped to accept the sight of her pleasure as many little boys, um, I wonder if if they don 't have a very different experience and i maybe I was reading a lot into what you wrote, but maybe combining your ideas with the diana lisa 's ideas that if we could be more comfortable and accepting of our own um, physicality and sites of physical pleasure, could we later in life, could we early in life, um, understand um, what it is we want from the experience of knowing what we want in our bodies? Absolutely. I think there's shame
0: from early on. Um, I think a boy has a easier time sexually because he has a visible genital and he is allowed to manipulate it. He uses it when he pees. So why not use it to have pleasure? That's quite normal. I think when a girl masturbates, a mother might be shocked and try to prevent this. Although it's very normal. Babies st- start to masturbate in the, in the womb already. There are pictures of that. Right. Mm-hmm. so it's it's a normal activity and it's it's conducive to development to to explore your body but girls life have lifelong less inclination to masturbate and their sexual enjoyment comes much much later they have to to learn how to enjoy sex and that can take a long time they have to get used to a partner a boy in in adolescence is eternally masturbating that's normal
1: well, what do you think the role of, of uh, psychoanalysis in um, sort of advocating for many years um, the vaginal over the clitoral orgasm? Freud's idea that the clitoral orgasm was a more immature um, type. Um, what? What? Wh- yeah. Where are we at with that now? Would you say in terms of uh, in terms of our thinking?
0: Well, that has been, meanwhile, uh, rejected, and he could have known. From the beginning, he denied it, but he could have known. But he he was a neurologist. He knew that there are less nerve uh, endings in the vagina than in the clitoris. So he should have known. So it was just a cultural thing to deny that. He didn't like it. And his in his writings, he... He writes very negatively about masturbation. It's not a good idea. It prevents uh, sociability or prevents relationships, which is nonsense, of course. People, men, masturbate while they are in a relationship. And uh, besides it, they have a need to masturbate. So for men, that's absolutely normal. Mm-hmm. And for for women, not so much, I think. Women have less inclination to to enjoy their genitals and they... Are more inclined to be ashamed. It's 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 hidden. It's it's smelly. It's 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 juicy. It might be dirty. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you get your periods, and there come out other fluids. And oh oh oh, how dirty all this! We should be careful not to not to touch and not to desire because that's. Uh, Connected with anal fears. With, excuse me? That's somehow connected with fears of anal pleasure. Ah, uh-huh.
1: dirt. ah huh, fears of dirt, sure. I'm a, I'm a dirty, dirty uh, uh, creature. Right, little girls have to work very hard to, um, to prove and to remain clean, right? There's a lot of pressure um, for the girl to be clean, and the boy, he can be dirty. Uh, Yeah, and girls are clean much earlier, so they
0: don't have this pleasure of soiling themselves very long. They are clean about two, two and a half, and boys can be until four years old. It's
1: normal Mm -hmm. for them to, to do everything in a diaper. Right, that's right. Listen, I was wondering, tell, could you tell us a little bit about your your training and uh, your, sort of ba- your psychoanalytic training and how you came to develop um, your ideas? What schools of thought have you been most influenced by? Um,
0: well, I was trained uh, in Amsterdam as an adult analyst, and that was in the... When was that? In the early sixties, and then uh, came the Anna, the Hampstead Clinic, which is now called the Anna Freud Clin- Clinic. These uh, co-workers of Anna Freud came to to Leiden to to teach us every weekend about child analysis. So I became a child child analyst. But then at that time, the ideas of the Freudians were very limited in Holland and in England. There was no the transference in child analysis and even the transference in adults was was r- regarded as something that uh, uh, should go away It was not uh, really addressed, let alone the counter transference it, it hardly existed and uh, the school of M- melanie Klein was totally ignored it was almost forbidden to talk about it so after this training with uh, the people from the Anna Freud Clinic, the Hampstead at the time, uh, which was a very good training. They were wonderful people, and they were the only people in the world who were full-time child analysts. We do these trainings, always, besides our daily work, but they were there in that Hampstead Clinic, the whole the whole day and took their analysis in London and worked in in the clinic with children. So they were full-time analysts. Still, they were not accepted by the international because the, the, the analytical society feared that child analysts might go on to call themselves adult analysts without having the proper training. Well, there was some some rivalry involved also because these child analysts were not always doctors and at the time only doctors could be analysts in america that was a big fight later on it certainly was <laughs> it certainly was and yes. then later on i came frequently uh, frequently to to london at at uh, summer conference and that sort of thing and then i discovered the neoclinians like Ermar brennan and Edna O'Shaughnessy, and I thought, well, I don't want to be in a group with other people. I want to have personal supervision by them. So I traveled to London every month, a weekend, and took uh, supervision with them. And so I learned about the uh, Kleinian way of, of working, which is technically much more sophisticated than the Freudian way I had learned before. That was absolutely eye-opening and much closer to my spontaneous style. So I really learned a lot from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then Klein came in, and then I went to France regularly every every year in January, the was the Seminary, to perfect perfect your seminar de perfectionnement they called it the Seminary to to uh, improve your technique um and there i met uh, george McDougall and janine chazgas mirgel and they were uh, specialists in in perversions and and um, mother child uh, complications and 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 uh, parasitic mothers and and mothers who couldn't l- let go of their children and uh, which created perverse or homosexual males and that sort of thing. That was so. Uh, Chasga uh, was the editor of a book about female sexuality, which was very interesting to me. So that was long after Freud had talked about perversions. It lasted about uh, forty years before somebody. Address this problem again, and um, they did it. The French analysts. Um, well, I don't know. I I read uh, left and right and picked up. I'm sort of eclectic, probably. Uh
1: huh. Uh huh. I hear that that you have a you have an interesting background um, of uh, interesting training. Um, I was thinking about um, one idea you also develop in the book is. Um, about hysteria. And, um, on the American scene, I would say we are sort of thinking about this term, but it's a, it's a term that belongs more to history, right? To to Freud, to Charcot, um, and yet you and also Christopher Bolas, um, who's published a book several years ago on hysteria are, um, both talk about uh, the importance of this concept. Um, could you explain, I mean, assuming we have a lay audience, what, how would you describe um, hysteria and, like, what does it look like? Um, well, you know, if you were to, a patient who comes in who is hysterical, and how does the mother-daughter relationship, um, the symbiotic illusion, um, possibly uh, set a, a woman up for a hysterical outcome?
0: Well, not so much that his, uh, symbiotic illusion as well as a sort of uh, not... Not a real love, but a, a make believe kind of uh, loving your daughter. Uh, and an unsatisfactory mother daughter relationship uh, in, in, in many ways. And it, hi- hysteria is, has been uh, taken out of the uh, DSM. And uh, now it became later histrionic personality. I think, but um it's not the same as in Freud 's Day because nowadays um, people know that if you can 't see or can 't walk or can 't talk then then you are hysteric, so it 's too obvious the The thing moves to 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 other symptoms that are le- less obvious. And um, hysteria has basically, as far as my experience goes, it has to do with a lack of self-esteem, which makes you behave as if you are lovable and as if you have a woman with a male analyst, she will fall in love with him. and, And if he is not very professional, he will respond to that instead of taking up the narcissistic problem. Hysteria is a narcissistic problem. I want to be loved, and how can I be loved? Well, I have to behave as if I love you, then will you you will love me. Mm. So you have to, in, in analysis, you have to go to a much deeper level than the grown-up genital love. That's not the idea. It's, it's much more in a primitive oral layer, I would say. Um, a, a, a Londoner Eric Brandman has written on hysteria uh, an article which is beautiful, so m- maybe the the disease which they call uh, people who who can 't function anymore they are too tired to to walk and to, to, to work. Uh, how do you call that that uh,
1: chronic fatigue or something like
0: yeah, that Yeah, chronic fatigue that mm-hmm. that might be connected to hysteria because hysteria takes on different guises in different historical periods
1: sure do you know do you know the work of um Elaine Showalter who wrote a She's a, a literature yeah. professor at Princeton who wrote a book called His, Histories. I think it's H Y S T O R I E S, and she claims yeah. chronic fatigue as a hysterical. Um, yeah, yes, she's a very smart author. I read her. And yeah, I think that's a, a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's um, yeah. she really had um, she really you know said we have contemporary forms of hysteria, and um, here is what they look like. Uh, multiple personality uh, disorder, for instance, is a, another. Um, uh, sort of idea that actually is bigger, I think, on the American scene. That there's uh, certain schools of psychoanalysis that are really interested in dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality, uh, multiple personalities. Um, do you have any thoughts about um, the emergence of uh, of that um, idea of the multiple, multiple personality?
0: Pers- well, I I read the the Sibyl case. Of course, that's fair. <laughs> very- very well, famous,
1: yes. <laughs> We've all seen the movie and been like ruined by it. Yes, <laughs> read
0: the book and seen the movie, and well, I don't know. I I never met a patient like that, but people, uh, uh, especially women, can be very theatrical or or as if or or histrionics in their in their appearance. Um, Kaplan wrote about that, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, What's her name? Uh, Helen Kaplan. The,
1: oh, I don't think I know her. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah. She wrote an enormous uh, book, uh, 600 pages or so, about the different mm-hmm. guises of womanhood uh-huh. Uh-huh. and femininity, this, how it disguises
1: itself. But the uh, masquerade, like in the Joan uh, Riviere sense? Or, uh,
0: yeah. yeah, the masquerade yeah. Of, mas- of femininity. femininity.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And... Um, yeah, women have this um, craving to be loved and liked. They're maybe more unsure of themselves, lack more often self-esteem than than boys, and they take all sorts of. You see it in little girls already how they can be uh, uh, sort of acting histrionically, and and you don't. It's it's sort of a false picture they put up about themselves of, of right. themselves
1: right i treated a little girl uh, many years ago her i treated the girl and her mother and i remember she used to say to me always in my mind i'm making candy mm-hmm. for mommy uh-huh. And it was very, you know, a really striking example that she felt that somehow she always had to be producing the thing. Her mother loved candy. <laughs> she was ate candy all the time, and she was always producing, in her mind, candy uh, for mommy. All different colors, all different shapes and sizes, but she wanted to be able to feed um, her mother so as to guarantee that she would be fed. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah,
0: that, that's that's a pathetic thing. That sounds like a parasitic relationship.
1: Yes. <laughs> I think it, it was a very uh, parasitic relationship. Um, what I was thinking about, um, as I, I read your book, and I was thinking, you know, we... We see, or I think that many more women are diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder than are men, and I often, you know, think of that the, the borderline uh, diagnosis as being close in some ways to the hysterical um, diagnosis in the way that you're um, using it. Am I am I off on that, or could you say something about that? The comparison between those two diagnoses. Yeah,
0: I think they are close together. or Can even go together because they're both uh, something went wrong in in the early stages of child development, where the self esteem is built up and and where you really have a, a close bond with with your parents. And if that goes awry, you might develop a borderline syndrome, and uh, attachment is not right, and you don't feel loved, and you are not. Uh, Treated in a in a consistent way, uh, you do your best to to please the other person. That's all somehow connected. Mm-hmm. In the first few years, this self esteem has to develop, or it doesn't. Right, right,
1: right. right. How does little girl? Um, I think you also. Make this argument throughout throughout the book, um, the little girl does not have what she eventually comes to know the mother wants the penis um,
0: yes, that maybe is a is a very French idea, which has been developed by Lacan who is very much on the side of the importance of the phallus and the lack of it. Mm-hmm. And that phallus is not the same as penis, but it's the idea that you, you have it or it is lacking. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, it, it might be true that a uh, mother is very proud of the fact that she doesn't have a penis, but she has produced one, which is the fact if she gives birth to a son, and maybe that makes her more in love with her son than with her daughter and it's well, we talked about that before
1: right 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 how can the little girl it's really it's a it's it's uh as I read your book, I began to think how what makes a different outcome possible if the little girl um and the little boy both um are um if you follow Chattero, they're both little girls, and then the little boy becomes uh, has to separate from the mother and becomes a little boy. But there are some that would say that um, you know, does the little girl when does the little girl know she's a little girl? What's happening preedably? Are the little girl and the little boy actually that different? Why um, are girls um, you make the argument that it's more difficult to separate because the girl knows she's just like her mother, but she doesn't know that at first she does i think you think so okay can you say something about that i think it's an yes. interesting
0: I, I think that that little girls uh, almost from the start have a, a sense of their genitals their inside their 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 body they they know they are different they are um,
1: sorry i i lost my well, they're, they know that not so much that they're different, but that they're the same. Is that is
0: they're the same as as their mothers? Mm-hmm. And they, um, they, if you see little children in kindergarten, they as they're enormously fascinated by the sexual difference. They run after each other to the toilet to see each each other's bottoms. It's fascinating, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's our children under two almost, and and from then on, the one and a half year old, they they absolutely see and know and acknowledge difference. Explore with their fingers in their vagina. It's it that's that's absolutely a fact. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did you ask i well, i was
1: i, I guess i 'm thinking about more the pre edible than the edible like the early the pre verbal uh, life for the little girl at, yeah. with, with her mother and Yes. The idea that, you know, there's no, if, if there's no following Lacan, we need language to have difference and the recognition yep. of difference. So before language, what's going on between the little girl and the mother and the little boy and the mother before the, the that infant knows, um, that, that she is, uh, is genitally the same? I mean, what, how, how do, do you, how, do you, agree with that idea is that a, do you have a different way of thinking that when does the little girl know she's a little girl and what's the impact of the pre-edible situation um for her
0: i think the mother sees a mirror in a daughter she reflects on the daughter she reacts to the daughter differently and that is not a conscious thing the daughter experiences, but it must have an impact. Because if you think of the how the gender is created, if you think your child is a, is a son and it turns out to be a daughter or vice versa, the gender is destroyed. It will never be right again. Unless it's discovered very early, after two years, it's already too late. So there is an unconscious acknowledgement of "I am a boy, I am a girl." And uh, you mention, yeah, uh, authors like Stoller, for instance, who mm-hmm. says that everybody starts as a little girl, whereas Freud said everybody starts as a little, little boy. boy right? <laughs> opposite idea. But I think. Uh, A boy might not start as a little girl, but he does still miss the paternal uh, image and the paternal identification object, so he has to acquire that, and that's why boys in 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 their latency school age they hate girls because they are so afraid to become a girl they have to distance themselves from their female identity and and to become a boy they have to do that but I think the the child uh, the mother addresses the boy differently and he he feels that she is fascinated and he is different from her it's it's not a conscious concept but it, it it's yeah, in 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 a very primitive form, I I assume it is there.
1: Well, I think right you're talking about unconscious uh, communication, which um, yeah, you know, which is it's-
0: very important. Think of falling in love. People have in one split second have seen the other and recognized something which they ten years later discover what it was all about. That they are zipper together. And and that they have the exactly the partner that they the, the neurotic interaction they have with their parent they find back with their partner how do they know when they meet how do they choose this partner that's an an interesting riddle it's a problem it's very interesting people are enormously intuitive they see in the eye of the other they see a whole story that's my idea
1: yeah and it's an it's an idea that um uh the unconscious uh, plays a very powerful role in everything we do, and our unconscious fantasies are more in charge uh, than our conscious mind and
0: uh yeah. and, and and it can be unconsciously seen in in one twink of the eye. you look the other in the eye, and unconsciously unknowingly, you might have an idea who you have before you.
1: Right, Zap. this
0: secret—it's a little, it's interesting. I think.
1: Yeah, that's, that's right, and I think that uh, that people who have fallen in love uh, only to find out they've fallen in love with uh, with uh, their critical and rejecting mother um, really yeah. really will resonate with, uh, with with that with that idea. Absolutely. Well, this
0: is an interesting subject again because women often choose a man who is similar to their mother. Because when a woman comes into my consulting room and she starts complaining about her husband for half an hour, then I say, "Okay, that's your husband." Now tell me, uh, what was your mother like?
1: And then you get the same story. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Well, she wants a she wants a woman a woman with a penis. She got her mother with a, with a penis, and it's and a-
0: back there again. What she misses in her mother, she looks for in her husband, and she won't get it.
1: And he doesn't have it to give. Doesn't that's right. have to give. It's a powerful repetition, so yeah. we're, we're just about out uh, coming to the end yeah. of our hour is there um is there has there been anything that uh, that I haven't raised that you'd like to um, to talk about? I mean, you have a listening audience here, and um, you know psychoanalysts aren't always on the air um, talking uh you know about about our ideas so is there uh, are there other things that you wanted to raise about um, your your thinking of late, and not even necessarily related to the book?
0: Um, well, I think this is it. I've mentioned some points already that you didn't ask, and I think well, I might have other ideas, but at the moment, I think this uh, this will do. Okay,
1: <laughs> I hope you are fine. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank you very much. We've had uh, Dr. Hendrika Freud here with us um, in the inaugural um, program of new books in psychoanalysis. And we want to thank her very much uh, for joining us today um, and uh, say goodbye for now. Okay. bye -bye. Bye-bye.